study time. Amen. Don't you just love the Lord for all he is? And he wants to be so much more to us. That's his desire. We've been over the last four or five weeks, I've about lost count, on the work of the pastor. What he's supposed to be doing. And what I want you all to do is keep in mind that a pastor shepherds the sheep. Can't do much with goats. They do whatever they want to do. But sheep can be led. The old ewes <laughs> and the young lambs. Sometimes you have to carry the young ones, but sometimes you have to provide a place for the old ewes to lean on. But they can be led. And that's why the Lord said when the time comes, not only would he separate the wheats from the tares, but he also separate the goats from the sheep. So what he's doing is allowing the goats to mix and mingle with the sheep. And the only way you're going to know whether they're goats or not is when they won't be led or fed. They'll just go and do what they get ready and seek a place that they want to go and not be led into green pastures or balk at the fact that they have to be led to the valley of the shadow of death. Because when you lead them through there, you have to depend on the shepherd in order to ward off the things that's in there. And it's a dark place and a dark area where most of the time in the shepherds of old used to have to and it was not just a little place, it was a huge place, where they had to bring their sheep from one pasture and cross the valley of the shadow of death to the other. And in there was trouble and problems. And the Bible says that the shepherd's rod and staff, and uh, of course the shepherd doesn't carry two things, he only carries one, and the rod and the staff are the same things. And there again is kind of a play on words that rod and staff, and the same word that we have used before, thy rod even thy staff. And so actually what you have is the shepherd's crook. And with that crook he brings the sheep with authority and guidance and also with discipline. And also the staff is quite a heavy type thing where he uses that for support and he also fights off any enemy that is there as they cross through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's why the psalmist David said, because he was a shepherd and he had been through that before, where he said, I will fear no evil, for thy rod, even thy staff, they comfort me. So the sheep was very comfortable with the shepherd as they were dining, so to speak, in green pastures, and also they were very comfortable with the shepherd as they were being led through dark places and hard times. They still trusted the same shepherd that 
led them and caused them and wards off the lion and the bears and all of that as they eat in green pasture. So it is necessary not only for us to be led by the pasture when times are good and we're feeding well, but we also have to realize that there are times that we walk through that valley where there's really not a lot to eat and the sheep has to depend on the fatness that they receive in the good pasture in order to pass through till they get to the other side of the valley of the shadow of death in order for them to uh, be able to begin to eat again. So what am I saying? It is necessary sometimes when the Spirit is moving to store up and fatten yourself up with the good word of God so that when dry times come and darkness comes that you'll be able to wither the storm and you might come out a little leaner but you'll come out safe. Hallelujah. Because again you have to have the comforting uh, presence of the shepherd and you have to believe that he's going to get you through there. If you don't, you'll balk and you won't go through it. And you see a lot of people doing that. But that's not in the notes. I just thought maybe I'd pass that on that it might help you a little bit to realize that you're not going to dance and shout all the time and sometimes you're not going to get the word that you think you ought to get and sometimes it's just a hard old road to hoe. But remember, it comes from one good pastor. And once we're through there, there's another one on the other side. And you, whatever weight you lose, you're going to gain if you'll just put your confidence in the shepherd at all times. Now, the greatest uh, enemy of our soul is when things are not going good why then we begin to think about maybe replacing the shepherd because he's not doing good. What is happening is he's trying to lead us out from where we picked the grass clean and out from those things and into another pasture. And there's a whole lot of other things that we go through before we get there. And why is that to make us want to eat when we get there. Amen. Isn't that wonderful how God does things? Well, the psalmist David, of course, penned that in the 23rd Psalm, and he being a shepherd was teaching us. We have named several things thus far that's the work of the pastor, like feeding the flock and guarding the flock, and many things you guard them for, taking the oversight of the flock. There are times when... Uh, the flock needs to know who has their oversight of them. They need to know their shepherd, and the shepherd needs to know them. Also, the pastor's call, that's to the flock, and praying for the sick, and not only praying for those that are sick, but teaching us individually how to stay healthy, have a, how to have a healthy church, and to bind up the brokenhearted, those that need comforting, Shepherd is to do that, and yet we're going to have to allow that to be done. Of course, if we are having our pity parties and we'd like to stay there, why, you can, because nobody can get you out of it. So you have to understand that if you're brokenhearted and you have a lot of problems 
quit having a pity party and realize, buck up and uh, bind yourself to the Word of God and let your pastor bind you up with the Word of God. He has to uh, pour in the oil and the wine. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? And then he prays for the flock constantly. That is, all, almost all the waking moments of his life, he motivates and is moved by the saints of God. And then we've got down to number eight, which is restores the fallen. In other words, restoration is one of the hardest things and uh, least done in the church of the living God, regardless of what name we go by, go by, you don't see very many individuals restored. You see them depart, you see them go, but you don't see them restored. Now, I'll grant you that there are some that does not want to be restored, they're enjoying themselves too much, but there are others that have lapsed into sin, so to speak, just gradually, and would love to have some way of restoration without really losing their, uh, so to speak, their pride or their walk with God. I want to read to you from Galatians 6, 1 at the beginning of this, and we'll have others also to bring us back. And then I want to give us a lesson on foot washing and tie that in. Is that all right? I want to let us know what God was talking about or Jesus was talking about when he was talking about washing one another's feet. He didn't just want us to put away our pride and wash somebody's dirty, dirty feet, although I don't see much wrong with that in the natural, but he had a whole lot more in mind when he was talking about that than just having a foot washing service in the church. Okay, reading from Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meek meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Good lesson right there, and that doesn't need explanation at all. And then Hebrews 13 and 17, we'll go there, and then you can hold those places for a few moments. Hebrews 13 and 17 reads like this, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourself, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now that's why I brought in all this rod and staff stuff that I brought in, because it says, Now obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourself to them, having faith in them in the good times and in the bad times, because he said they're watching for your soul. They're concerned about where you're at and where you're going and concerned about where you've been, but where you've been is already past. But where you are now and where you're going is present and future. 
And so there's an admonition there by the writer of the Hebrews, said, now you obey them, follow them, submit yourself to them, for they're watching for your soul as they must give an account that they might do it with joy and not with grief. For if they do that with grief, that is unprofitable for you. Not for him, but for you. Okay? And certainly, if you'll read in the scriptures about the unprofitable servant, you'll get the gist of what I'm talking about. Okay? So, you don't want anything unprofitable for you, and so God lays it upon the pastor or the leadership. In other words, it's, we're duty-bound, all of us, as long as we're obligated and working to this church. Uh, but we walk under the auspices of the pastor. But whenever we minister, it is our duty, as well as our obligation, as well as uh, our happiness to be able to lead you from one place to another and keep you healthy while we are doing that. Because you don't want to face God and look in his face and say, this is an unprofitable servant. They haven't been anything. Now, it's grieving to the ministry. It's grieving when uh, he can't get profit uh, and make the servants and make the... Uh, uh, saints profitable in the work of God. It, it's grieving to the pastor. But he is not held accountable for that. If he presents that the way it should be presented, he only grieves. He is not held accountable. You are held accountable and you will grieve later on. All right? Because you're not going to get what a profitable servant would get. Okay, I think maybe now I need to go to James. Uh, I think I need uh, James 5, 19, James 5, 19 and 20. It says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him or restore him is the word. Let him know that he which converteth or restoreth the sinner. Now, he's not talking about necessarily sinners out there. He's talking about Christians that have sinned. Does that not make you a sinner if you have sinned? Okay. Somebody said, I despise that. When they say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, that's what we were. And whether we like it or not, we still are. It's the grace of God that keeps us. Okay? So if we sin, then we are sinners until we bring it under the blood. Hallelujah. And then, as always, he takes care of that. And that blood will flow from the time it began on the cross until there's no longer any need for it in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, let him know that he which restoreth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That's talking about the saints of God with the ability to restore. 
Now there are sheep that stray because of the allurements around them. Believers that fall into sin and backsliding have various forms of rebellion and spiritual indifferences. Maybe the cares of life overtake them, or some might fall into the materialistic uh, pursuits that leave God out, and you'll find most of them are like that, especially in this materialistic world that we're living in. We get caught up in material things, things that we want, not things that we need. God said He would supply all of our needs according to His riches in glory, but He didn't say you're going to have everything you wanted. And Christians are wanting more than their needs, and so they fall into the materialistic pursuits that leave God out of their Bible study and leave God out of their prayer and leave God out of their life for the most part until it comes time to come to church and then we try to review and make up for everything that we haven't done for a few moments just before we come into the house of God. Materialistic view. The world has that. It's all around us. It's in your workplace. It's wherever you go. Whoever you talk to has a materialistic view of this world and the things that they need in this world. And we have changed our needs to wants. And so it's talking about those type of individuals that's fallen by the wayside. Now many of us know individuals that's been caught up in that. And many of us know individuals that is caught up in that. And many of us see the road signs of individuals that's being caught up in that and it's dwarfing their spiritual life and they're not what God wants them to be and desires them to be. Not picking on anybody, not trying to make you feel bad, but I don't know if you listened to what I heard or not. I heard Sister Joni say, I almost... What an opportunity. I heard others say, I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to do something else. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You may want to do it, but if you don't have the determination to do it, you are not going to do it. Am I all right there? I didn't hurt your feelings, did I? <laughs> what we need to say it's my desire and my determination is to be what God wants me to be, the way He wants me to be, and where He wants me to be. It shouldn't take us all our lives to know where God wants us. Most of the time we know, but we just don't want to go. Because going and doing what God wants us to do brings a heavy responsibility on us personally that we would rather somebody else would carry. And so we stammer around and we keep wondering where is my place in God. We 
go over here and try to find it and over there and try to find it and always it eludes us and about the time we've got it all hemmed in why something else breaks out and I'm standing there in amazement I still don't know after all these years I still don't know where God wants me and what God wants me to do Hallelujah. <laughs> you know why? <laughs> because you say, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't feel capable of doing that, God. Look at all those smart people you have and look at me, what I am. What did God say? What did He say? I will give you what? Power. To be what? Overcomers. How? By His Word. Hallelujah. So whatever God asks you to do, whatever portion of the body He wants you to feel, He was more than able to see that you can do that. Never going to be able to do it by yourself. Okay, let's go back over to St. John 13. And twelve, well, let's just read a little more than that. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. We're talking about restoring. Okay, we're talking about what Jesus had in mind when he was talking about washing feet. Okay, we're not talking about natural washing feet. All right? There's a spiritual emphasis placed on that that let us know what God had in mind when he was telling his disciples what to do. And they passed it on in another sense of the words to those that they ministered in. Fourth verse, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? You see? Now listen to what Jesus says now. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Now what is the mysterious thing about washing somebody's feet and drying them with a towel? Why would not, if this was all it was, why would not Peter know what he's talking about? So he said, Now you don't know what I'm talking about now, but you're going to. And I believe when you receive the Holy Ghost in the upper room, you're going to. And Jesus said unto him, let's get it over again, What I do, do thou knoweth not him, what I do thou knoweth not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, For if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, 
not just my feet only, but my hands and my head. In other words, wash me all over. If that's what it takes to be a part of you, just wash me all over. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. Now he was talking, in a sense, about Judas. But also hidden in here was talking about a restoration. Now he was referring, of course, historical accounts on this, and at that time they had public baths. They didn't all bathe together. Men bathed one place and women bathed another. And as they walked from that bath, after they had cleaned themselves and washed their head and their body, they washed to, went to the washroom, we'd call it. And as they walked there, they picked up debris on their feet. And so when they got there, they were clean all over, but they had picked up some debris on their feet. And this is what Jesus is saying to us, actually, is for us to understand that there are those that have been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us have. But we are in this world, and we're walking in this world, and we pick up some things in this world on our feet. And he just simply says that you need always to cleanse your feet. And he's also beginning to tell us that we need somebody to help us stay clean in our whole being. And restore those that need some cleansing of their feet that have been soiled as they walk in the world and all the wondrous things that are out there that is able to prick their heart and bring them in, Jesus was simply saying, in a sense, you're going to have to help one another. You're going to have to understand the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ does cleanse you, will cleanse you, but you have to go into the Word of God and be washed by the watering of the Word of God and stay clean through the blood of Jesus Christ all the time. And you need some help with that. And once you understand that when you're helping somebody to overcome the things in their life, you're actually washing their dirty feet. Amen. And that is more pleasurable. <laughs> Hallelujah. I got to do it sometime. That is more pleasurable than washing your clean feet right here. And I don't see anything wrong with it. Sometimes that humbles us. But it's not what Jesus had in mind. He was talking about restoring individuals. He was talking about Individuals that have picked up some of the soils and things of this world. And uh, sometimes they don't even notice that. And so 
you go to them and they have fallen away yes they have you can tell when individuals are falling away from God if you're a Christian you can see it and then as you see it wait for the time and then go and say I want to wash your dirty feet I want to help you with this that's clinging to you that don't need to be there I want to help you with this I didn't even know that there was anything there and then they lift up their feet and sometimes their shoes and there's mud on them and spiritually speaking and they didn't even know it was there because they've been caught up in a materialistic world and it becomes so habitual to them to do this everybody else is doing it not everybody okay not everybody and wouldn't it be nice if the church could have enough confidence one with another so that when we noticed somebody that's kind of going away either by hurt or by sorrow or by just pleasure or whatever that's causing their feet to get dirty. Wouldn't it be nice if we would have enough confidence in the body of Christ for somebody to pray and then go and say, Can I help you? Can I help you with this grief? Can I help you with this pleasure that you're going after? Can I wash your dirty feet for you and cleanse you and get you back into the kingdom of God? Can I do that? And then somebody come to you sometime and say, I've noticed your little lacks in your worship. I notice you're a little short with people. I notice your attitude is different. And I know you love the Lord. But someplace, somewhere, you have picked up something. And maybe you don't even know it. And if you do, maybe you don't even know how to get rid of it. Can I wash your dirty feet? Or will you allow me to wash your feet for you? Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Glory. Man, you talk about a healthy church. You talk about a church, and now don't look at me with those eyes. You know that there's times when all of us, unbeknownst to us, have got our feet dirty. And sometimes we don't even know what to do with it and what to do about it. We don't know where to find it in the Bible. We don't know how to make application to that in the Word of God. And we just need somebody to tell us and to help us to stay clean. Hallelujah. To find the Word inside that says, I'm going to wash this off of you. Because I want to see that same vibrancy in your worship. We have a problem at our house. 
we've got mud every place. And we've got one of them real thick carpets. And we just had it cleaned. And it was so dirty. And yet, the best we can do, some of us, some of us come in with mud on their feet. And I have to look and say, did you see that? Then she looks and says, yeah, that's me. I didn't know what was on there. I thought I wiped them off. That's just, and of course, <laughs> she's waiting for me to say, well, that I do also. And I do, but both of us and others that are there wouldn't do it for the world, but don't know it's there. That is a natural setting to a spiritual setting. Okay? We come into the house of God with dirty feet and clutter everything up and everybody lets us leave with dirty feet. And sometimes we're just afraid somebody's going to snap our head off if we say anything. Amen, Brother Roy. But we're not sure what attitude you come in. And so knowing this and knowing that we have these weaknesses come in with an attitude of humility and with an attitude that there is a possibility somebody can help us and that if God did not believe we could help one another, He would have never have placed us in the body of Christ. And so... Washing dirty feet. That's what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't necessarily talking about, let me go over it again, and you can have all the foot washings in the world you want, and it's still not going to do what God wants it to do. Because that's a spiritual thing that Jesus was talking about, because he told Peter, you don't know what I'm talking about, but you're going to. And Peter gives you some of the best lessons if you read after him. And Paul also about restoration. About restoring individuals. That doesn't mean they have to be out there in the world. I think he was talking about individuals in the body of Christ. that come in sometimes with dirty feet. And sometimes can't help it. And sometimes don't know what to do about it. And I suppose some of them come in that don't care whether they stay dirty or not. But we're talking about the true body of Christ. It takes true love and true spirituality to be a restorer. James tells us that in this context, he was converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death 
and shall hide a multitude of sins. See what I'm talking about? Making them aware of it, letting it be washed away from them. A multitude of sins can be there right on your feet where you don't ever notice that it's there. Number nine, a pastor should visit the sheep, but he does not live with them. Now, I want you to notice what that is meant, again, by visiting the sheep. We've got a bad, put this in a bad light or a bad, bad context. I want you to come and visit me. But if you notice in Acts 5.42, now that I'm just going to uh, go over this and you read it. After the church was birthed, we see the apostles went to every house. And what did they do there? They taught and preached Christ. So when you ask the leadership to visit you, don't expect them to come, and many of us do, because we can't get the television shut off, and you can't preach Christ with some noise going on. So all we are limited to do is just visit. And many saints are satisfied. The pastor come and saw me today, and we talked about my garden and talked about my work and all of this. That's not what the ministry's visitation is. When he comes to your house, he has to teach or preach Christ. Answer questions. Delve into the Word of God. Acts 20 and 20, the Apostle Paul said he taught both publicly and from house to house. Notice the word taught. That's what Christ means by visiting the sheep. Visiting the saints. Not having a party. Now, if you just want to come and, and talk to one of them and so on, don't call that a pastor's visit. Because that's not what it's all about. And over my entire ministry, talking about myself, I learned that I can't teach over the television. I can't preach the gospel over minds that are wanting to talk about everything else. I can't do that. And so consequently, I don't visit the sheep. Of course, I'm not pastor. But when I was pastor, I didn't visit the sheep until I found out they had a question that needed answering our word that needed extolled upon or expounded upon. And I know that they call me a separationist, that I shouldn't do that. 
But I'm always friendly with the sheep. They won't find me cool and aloof. But if you ever want me, and he can do what he gets ready, to come to your house to visit, expect to turn off the radio and expect to turn off the television and expect to open your Bible up and expect a Bible study and a reading of God's Word. That's a visitation from the pastor. Hallelujah. The pastor, somebody said the other day, the pastors keep looking at the clock and don't pay any attention to it. <laughs> I don't know who said that. The pastor looks for needs. He doesn't wait for a breakdown and then try to patch it up. And there again, this is talking about the true body of Christ that wants to grow, that has a desire to be healthy. Otherwise than that, none of these things will work. Okay? I, you know, you. I've often wondered, let me break off here. You ever notice why that Jesus said, Suffer little children, forbid them not to come unto me, such is the kingdom of God. You ever notice just how vibrant they are while the rest of you are sitting there looking at me? She's waving her hands and making some noise. Right. That's as close to amen as I know of. And then you ever notice with little children how something can just happen or maybe you can give them a paddling and they're just so forgiving that they're on your lap within a few minutes. You ever notice adults, how they can carry that grudge for no telling how long? No wonder he said, that's the way you're going to get in. Like little children. Now I'll go on. Okay. The pastor should have I'm saying pastor, and I explained to it before, leadership. Should have a nose for trouble. And the minute he spots it, knows that he has the leadership and the response of the sheep to be able to not only spot it, but to do something about it right off, and he's not there in left field all by himself. Because somebody else has been there to get you on their side and he hasn't said anything. But he knows there's trouble there and he hasn't to say anything. Come on. Because this has already been discussed. God help us to be saints and sheep and pastors and leadership so we can sniff out trouble. Now, I don't have any any uh, trouble sniffing out trouble, and I'm sure your pastor doesn't either. Our problem is, will you allow us to handle it? 
That's the problem there. That's where we're going to have to find some way confidence enough in you as you have confidence enough in us. He doesn't always and shouldn't always have people to come to him if they know that they have a need then take the initiative and be able to look and say I know there is something wrong please let me help you response nothing wrong with me I'm doing good when he knows you got some dirty feet and he wants you wash. Amen. Hebrews said he is to watch for their soul. Watch for their spiritual welfare. John says the shepherd knows his sheep by name. Go on and on with that. But it's just a good relationship. A warm relationship between pastor and sheep. And you know the fault I find? Is many, many individuals are depending on satellite programs, depending on television programs, other areas, except believing in your leadership right here in your church. These individuals don't have the slightest idea how you feel and they don't care how you feel. But feel the warmth and concern of your pastor and leadership and they know how you feel and they want to help you. Of course, you have to live a Christian life. Paul said to Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and impurity. Pastor has to lead by example. I'm going to close here because I think I can finish this up. Everybody say amen. I think I can finish this up next week. Amen. My wife says thank God. Stand with me.